Hello everyone, welcome back to the second episode of the Universal AI Impact Podcast. Today, we will be covering AI in the field of education. We can all agree that education is a necessary resource. However, as is common during technological revolutions of this magnitude, the integrity of education is being threatened. Students' work and their learning is at stake. In addition, the workforce seems to encourage the use of generative AI to speed up efficiency, so innovative methods to the learning process will have to be made. The question remains, how can we balance learning with job readiness? To offer us some insight will be Annette Iverson, high school math teacher at Greenwich Country Day School. She worked as the vice president and director for emerging markets at JP Morgan and Credit Suisse during the unprecedented rise of the internet. She was also the mathematics teacher at Whitby School, located in Greenwich, Connecticut, and the Sandwich School. Annette Iverson, with her wealth of experience in both the financial and educational sectors, can bring some valuable insights into the challenges and opportunities posed by this sweeping technological revolution. Stay tuned as we explore these questions. So, uh, I'm joined here by Miss Annette Iverson, a math teacher at GCDS, and I'll be asking uh, her a couple of questions today regarding how she sees AI and the field of education. Thank you, Yash, uh, let me say, for having me here and uh, for for picking me as perhaps the first teacher, I'm not sure. Um, but it, your, your questions were, um, you know, the topic is thought provoking. So I'm, um, I'm excited to delve into it with you. Yeah. So, Alrighty. Um, yeah. So the first question, as a mathematics teacher, do you say, do you see AI as a threat or an opportunity to teaching practices and why? Very good question. Uh, let me begin by saying that AI is here. From the moment it is here, um, it's best to look for opportunity in it. Because while it can be perceived as a threat, I think um, you know this. It goes both ways. Um, so let's let's begin with opportunity, if that's okay. So um, so any any intelligent technology, adaptive technology, can help um, individualize a learning experience. And you know, at the most basic level, uh, we see that in a program we used in middle school called Alex.com. Um, you know, those are things that sort of sift for prior knowledge and then create a tailor-made learning program that can be pursued by a student, right? So that's, is that AI? I mean, it's some form of AI, I suppose. Um, you know, at the same time, from the moment you create that, you also can create something like Photomath. Right. So now you can, while your personalized learning plan is generated, you can now just go and you know, find the answers to everything you're being asked. So, uh, all right, well, I guess, is that a wash? It depends how you use it, correct? Yeah. Um, I think the the biggest um, advantage, opportunity I see in AI is um, it the adaptive learning capability and however we tailor that or whatever we do with that, I think it is there. And um, the other opportunity I see is that um, it will make teaching, I don't want to say more intelligent, but maybe um, just um, it, it, may, it, it, it gives us the opportunity to augment teaching 
while taking AI into account and its existence into account, as opposed to blocking it or ignoring it or pretending it doesn't exist or pretending what we do is not AI-able. Understood. So the threat, you know, am I out of a tutoring job if you can go and be helped by AI? Potentially, you know. So I think some teachers will be affected. Some of the profession will be affected. For right now, I think if the pandemic taught us anything, so much is available online, so much is available via Zoom. It doesn't work for everyone. There seems to be a human element that, you know, we we seem to still seek and we see that in students. Now, whether AI can get there soon or is already there, that's another question. I'll be turning that over to you. But for now, that was my answer to question one. Alrighty. Um, and I mean, given here's question two. So given the mathematics field has to deal with a similar problem, of course, as you mentioned, during the rise of the photo math and similar applications, how does like this current AI generative AI revolution kind of defer to that photo math that revolution? Um, you know, photo math by the time we got wind of it, um seems to still be confined to the realm of solving a specific math problem uh, through image recognition and then um, in a step, in a way that gives you an instant solution. Uh, can photomath give you the steps? I'm, I'm sure it can. One way or another, you can elicit those. Um, you know, that's kind of that. When it comes to, oh, find a faster way, find an alternate way, evaluating strategies. That's not photomath strengths right now, right? Because something like photomath prioritizes finding quick solution and doesn't um, focus on conceptual understanding. So whether generative AI can do better is the question here. And I did read up a little on what generative AI is um, back when you wrote your thesis, right? So for the audience, that's sort of, the AI that utilizes deep learning and, you know, creates its own thinking being, so to speak. Um, so uh, I tested, um, if I may, one of my supposedly more open-ended questions from one of my tests uh, on ChatGPT. And uh, so I asked the famous question, um, why does tan x equal two have solutions when sine x equal two doesn't? And, um, you know, it was able to articulate a beautiful answer. A little, a little wordy, but well. So yeah, Photomath couldn't do that, but ChatGPT can. So here we are. All right, so clearly it seems to have a little more of a reach than uh, Photomath did. So on to the third question, how does AI as a whole, not just generative, just impact the role of a teacher in a classroom? You briefly mentioned it earlier. And of course, it'll probably define the teaching profession, but specifically how so? Um, I'm thinking of it as a way to quickly scan a field for content and curate some content. So in that sense, it's, it's sort of a, a powerful tool um, I suppose like a search engine would anyway be. Um, it's just a better one. Now, um, at the same time, 
um, I could see it automating certain, helping with certain routine tasks. How about writing student comments, narrative comments? Um, one can try that. How do they look when they come out? You know, it gives a certain framework, sort of, you know, a certain verbiage, you know, a structure. And I think the work begins there as opposed to from a blank page, right? So personally, I see changing the starting point. Uh, the input is still personalized, but again, it um, it helps me overcome some of the writer's block, to be, to be very frank. Um, so yeah, so I could see that being a real aid. Um, now, um, evaluating teaching strategies, developing them, I, I'm not sure I'm there with that. Um, differentiation, I'm not sure how much I would trust it. Uh, I think what might be interesting is presenting students with AI-generated solutions and having them evaluate those solutions versus their own. And perhaps ultimately having students presenting them with AI and non-AI-generated solutions, having students pick out which ones are the ones, which ones are not, and why. It, you know, it could be a bit of a game while we get our feet wet. Um, now, there are some considerations. Um, you haven't spoken to that directly, but um, ethical considerations using AI, I, I think this is something we need to wrap our heads around. Because um, if you let AI evaluate student data, student test data, student screening data, formative assessment data, you know, and it flags learning differences for you, right? Oh, great. Oh, now I know this. But then who owns that data? That data is out there about a student. And you you just have to really be very careful how you, what you put out there. And you know, once it's out there, it's out there, right? Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? It does, thank you. Um, next question. So how do you, or would you design your teaching slash questions so that they would, you know, kind of still stimulate learning in, in this AI environment? Um, well, I would try to continue doing what I'm doing, but perhaps in an even more deliberate way, encourage in-class participation, in-class collaboration, um, hands-on activities, uh, you know, in the moment, real world applications, and you know, if for some of the follow-up questions or homework, they want to use AI, they may. But I think ultimately there has to be sort of a mutual recognition that there's value in what we do and what we do together. And we're looking to develop thinking and learning in ourselves. Um, Open-ended questions. Again, for me as an educator now, the question becomes, what are good open-ended questions? Be, you can be sure I'm going to be testing them. <laughs> right. Here I thought I had a, I had my whole open-ended question set, but we, we're going to have to go to the next level now. Um, in the end of the day, though, you know the 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 experience in the classroom together, uh, we want to continue making it unique, irreplaceable. An assessment will also be written by me, not AI. So you know, at at some point, there's a certain risk in using that to help you 
practice, right? Right. Um, explain their thinking, justify answers, explore multiple approaches, justify a choice of a certain approach. Those things are still all the higher level thinking tasks that I think for now um, we can sort of do a more unique job than AI. Understood. Make student perform and you know develop. Understood. Thank you for that answer. The next question. Um, how could interdisciplinary learning be facilitated using AI? Um, content curation, recommendation for prompts, uh, what article, what papers, what videos. I mean, I think it, it, it just automatically increases the reach by making searches so much more efficient. Right, you can you can you can introduce curation in in the way you ask the question in your search. I think that'll be a whole other um, task that you know we're going to have to grow on. That we have to grow in in the direction of how do you ask something like you know how does what you ask inform what you get out of it? You kind of play with all that, play with interaction. Um, but um, again, I think there can be um, there can be efficiencies there, and um, you know I'd be curious how AI plays out in the humanities. I'd I'd love to hear what my colleagues have to say on some of these very good questions. Yeah. All right. Um, next question. So of course, given the rise of generative AI and its ability to think and understand, like which aspects of learning do you think will be prioritized now? And I gave a bit of an example, like maybe we sh are learning shifts to more how we can develop a question. So we're just asking your opinion on that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I looked a little bit into, into you know, the GANs, which uh, generative adversarial networks, which you had mentioned in your thesis. Because, um, you know, I was intrigued by the whole idea that you have the generator network and then the discriminator, right? So you generate ideas, you generate models, and then the discriminator tests, incorporates the feedback loop um, and kind of, you know, refines what happens. And I think that interplay is fascinating to almost simulate in a classroom environment and compare to what you get out of an AI. Um, you know, how do you train it? How would you train people brains um, and kind of run those side by side. I'm getting really fascinated by this stuff. You know, I was skeptical, but um, obviously with generative AI, you can create things that seem real and that are gonna be deep, deep fakes. And in the end of the day, can you tell the difference? How can you tell the difference? And does it even matter? I think a whole new set of questions is being is being um we're being led to consider here. Um, but I think critical thinking skills will need to be refined and developed more. Um, articulating ideas, thoughts, thinking about how we see patterns, what it is that makes us pick out certain ones over other ones like really being deliberate about our own thinking and metacognition, I think that'll 
that'll come to the forefront a little more, especially in math. Um, you know, I think another avenue that we want to get ahead on from the get-go is what are ethical and social implications of AI use? AI use freely available, AI use with and without training. Um, again, our access is going to differ. Um, and it really could be a free-for-all, couldn't it? Yeah. Right? So I think the more we learn about it and its workings, and the faster we do so, the better we equipped we are. Um, but it won't be even. It won't be even. Lastly, I think AI, um, it keeps us on our toes. You know, I'm uh, thinking about it. I could ignore it and say, yeah, I can probably ride it to retirement, which I probably could. You know, just being AI. Not AI, AI, but um, at the same time, you know, it's a learning opportunity and it's kind of cool in that way. Uh, so again, just to sum it up, metacognition and reflection are sort of the two big main uh, uh, sort of thinking realms that, that we're going to focus our attention on. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. Got it. So the next one is, do you think schools will push just the understanding or even like the developmental, like the back end of machine learning, like into curriculums in schools? That's a very good question. Um, I think there needs to be a conversation about AI in schools um, along the lines of what is AI, you know? Uh, where can it be used? Where is it applied? Just kind of covering what's out there. Um, there needs to be a conversation about responsible and ethical AI use. Um, in order to properly address that and it not be a set of rules like do's, don'ts, don't use it here, don't turn it on. Um, I don't think we can get around really delving into understanding the inner workings of AI. Um, so how do you do that in order to critically evaluate, you know, biases, fairness, privacy, or what else could come up? Um, how do you go about introducing students to the underlying principles, the algorithms and the design choices that AI makes? How do you really go about imparting that? And where is that house? Is that a course in itself? I mean, this may be a survival tool. Um, so I think it's very, very important that students are allowed to experiment, critically evaluate AI output and form their own opinion about it. This could go as far as someone like you, a junior, having AI write college application essays and then looking at it. Or maybe write your essay first and then feed it to AI the question, see what it gives you. And they'll be like, okay. And you can be sure that colleges are on top of that, right? But it's really more like, how would mine differ from what the machine generates? Can I extract, still extract valuable information? Could these be good sentence starters for me? Like I can see um, 
I can see for some of us who are maybe a little more challenged with writing or, you know, the whole kind of the introspection, uh, that it could help overcome, as I, I said it to one of the earlier questions, overcome some writer's block. Um, but again, I think one needs to be very, very careful not to adopt much of what it proposes so that it remains the original writing. Um, but here, for example, it was interesting at my son's recent graduation from Cornell in the, the math and comps, I both we arms and I forget where it was said, but it was said um, that some, you know, tool like chat GPT brings back the value of the humanities. They called it the rise of humanities. <laughs> that was their prediction. Interesting. The rise back to critical thinking and telling the difference. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I wish that conversation had been longer. It was just um, really a very brief one, but yeah, just a little snippet here. So um, at, at the interdisciplinary conversation would be very, very important across departments that I'd be very interested in. Right. Like, yeah, I'd agree the, the with what you said earlier about the, like just educating people in general, not even, not even just model implementation, just like, you know, how, what it is and how it works would just offer some useful insight anyways. Yeah. All right. So this one's an interesting one. How do you think parents should be involved in the discussion about education? Yeah. Um, you know, they're going to be parents who are going to want to make it go away, right? Or keep their children at bay. Um, as with any innovation that's so freely available, it's really just like the internet, advent of the internet, advent of smartphones. That is very difficult. And the question is, are you better off getting ahead of it or blocking it? And those are going to be conversations I imagine we're going to have about school use. Um, or or maybe, maybe it's a foregone conclusion already. I think parents would benefit from workshops um, and information sessions. Um, and those, it would be good if schools organize those, libraries or, you know, but you know, whoever's first, hey, um, engage in a dialogue. Um, constructive, you know, non-biased with educators, administrators, other parents, maybe even experts in the field. Um, I think we as schools are in an excellent position to invite the dialogue and provide a platform. Um, you know, we don't need to pretend we know everything about it. Uh, we're in this together. Students, teachers, administrators, and parents, right? Helping each other learn about it. So this can be a very early conversation uh, with an open feedback loop. Um, you know, if parents have used AI tools to even help their children, help with math, you know, we hear these like, Oh, I sat down with my dad, but he learned it differently and they solved the quadratic equation. I don't know. You know, we kind of get that a lot from students and in, in certainly in middle school and up to ninth grade, maybe to, you know, beginning junior year, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but AI could be a tool here. Um, and then in what ways could it work and not work? I think on all ends of the spectrum, though, I kind of want to go back to that. We do need to advocate for ethical AI use. Um, yeah, 
So partnerships are the answer. Understood. Um, this is a more like a what if question. So if, if you're given the opportunity to design a class from scratch with AI at the center, how would you design it? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, I was dabbling with the idea of joining an intercession opportunity on that. And one could go in many directions. Um, and I would phrase it as AI and society impacts and opportunities or danger, you know, impacts and opportunities, right? Now, you'd want to introduce what it is. You'd want to introduce what it does, right? You want to talk about ethics. I think those are three critical pieces that have to be in there. Um, you want to discuss AI and creativity, what it does, how does it augment, does it crimp, you know, kind of evaluate that. And that could be a workshop, like, you know, uh, with, with students and teachers as partners. Um, then you want to discuss the role of data in AI. You know that was coming, right? Because what it generates is only as good as the data that are used to train it. So what's good data? What's bad data? What, you know, we mm. need to talk about data. Um, how does a human interact with a machine? You know, the equity issues here to win access. That could be a conversation. And um, where could this go? And all of this is still the about AI. I think that's an easy intercession that and i'm just saying it because i know it was proposed so it's out there as a possibility and uh, we're evaluating that right now in our teacher workshops uh creating ai is going to take some skill that then addresses a much smaller group but ultimately without creating ai you're not really going to understand it so I think we can come in at two levels. And the question really is how large, how open, how broad do we want to run it? Right? Mm -hmm. wanna, like what's the aim of such a course? I wouldn't rule out anything right now, but I think when it comes to actually um, creating AI, it's interesting. I sat in a POL where a student had created a little model of a brain, ninth grader. And created a video game from it. So I'm interested in that one. I'm I'm digging to find out more because you know there might be simple ways to do it. Hmm. So those are right now just some preliminary thoughts. I, I hope that answers your question. It does. Thank you. And we uh, could um certainly draw on someone like you uh, to help design, refine, or flesh out a module. Uh, within such a course. Like, I think this would be a nice opportunity for us having you on board for another year. Thank you. Um, so this is more into the job areas. Um, so like, what are the similarities between like the rise of the internet and the rise of the AI revolution in the job market? That's, that's, an, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember pre-internet days 
the pre and the post. And I remember how quickly that went. Uh, so to say the least, the impact is disruptive. Um, and it's disruptive on the job market because communications change, uh, information access changes, and you have those in the job market that can adapt and roll with it and those who don't. And I think those long-term effects are already being felt from the advent of the internet. And for AI, it's going to be, for AI at everyone's fingertips, it's going to be similar. Um, I think jobs are going to change in that there'll be new ones and others are gonna find themselves you know, becoming narrower, different. Take, for example, the job of um, a headhunter. Um, you know, this is somebody who searches for talent, you know, trying to connect applicants with companies. Um, you know, a lot of that is so automated at this stage already, right? Um, because it it allows to sift through so many more resumes in an efficient way for code words that the job of, of a headhunter, a search firm has changed. It had to adapt to use these technologies. What it means for the end user, the writer of the resume is that if the buzzwords aren't in the resume, they won't get pulled, right? Um, discrimination based on gender, age, and religion is not permitted. Yet for a machine, I mean, it is easy to sift out who is over 50, over 55. And that resume may never come up, although all the other attributes are there because of some graduation date, et cetera, et cetera, right? And now right. you don't have a human hand in making that choice. That resume just doesn't come up. Here as we enter the ethics again. And that's already happening. That's already happening. Um, I think the skills required in tomorrow's job market are going to change. Um, there are going to be these added skills that are going to be sought after. Um, and that, you know, adaptability is really going to be a key, a key determinant. Um, you know, global is going to become even more global. I think we're going to have to be even more flexible than we have been so far. Um, if not already, job market participants need to be ready to upgrade their skills at moment's notice and remain lifelong learners. Is that a bad thing? No, you could argue it keeps you fresh, right? Mm -hmm. Teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> saying, um, Does that increase stress? Yes. Does it feel like there's no job security? Probably increasingly so, because uh, jobs appear to be changing even faster. I mean, take the teacher job. We're having this conversation. Yeah. Um, that one's changing as we speak. So, yep. Um, I'm a little concerned about data, data privacy, data security. Um, just because there's so much out there and what what's being done with it. Uh, 
And perhaps I'm from the older generation that worries about that. I know my own sons who are in their 20s, slightly older than you, just do not worry about it because they assume everything is out there. I guess I'm not quite used to that. Um, but lastly, um, I do want to mention, I think algorithmic bias is going to be something we're going to be very careful about identifying and considering from an ethics standpoint. And, you know, the search engine and sifting through resumes example I gave earlier is one. Uh, and I think that's kind of for real. And I don't know how you predict that, but we'll have to be on the lookout constantly. Right. Yeah. One sec, this Zoom is going to end in four minutes. So what I'll do is, is I'll end this one and start a new one. So sorry with you. Okay. How many more questions do you have? I have one, but I have one that I just come up with. So. Okay. Yeah. So why don't we end this Zoom and resume? I'm, I'm going to let you do what you must. All right. Thank you. All right. Okay. So um, next question. It kind of touches on the question previously, but it's take a more of a macro approach. Um, it's effectively, how can we make the transition as smooth as possible from the educational world to the, to the job world? Hmm, that's a good, I, I assume the question pertains to, um, to someone like you who will transition from high school to college and then into the job world, am I correct? Yes. Interpreting it that way. Um, yeah, that, that kind of brings us back to a bigger question about the role of education, period. Um, is education vocational training? Or is education the phase in life where your mind is maximally open? Um, from where you will then make choices as an adult and as an informed member of society and perhaps seek jobs, interests, purpose. Um, so I think if educational institutions focus on imparting industry relevant skills, they're taking, um, they're taking the former approach. And I'm not saying it's bad or good, but, um, you know, curriculum is going to need to be aligned with industry needs. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Um, uh, at the same time, they're going to need to uh, encourage um, or perhaps require that um, some practical experience is gained while you're still in education. So that could be internships. These could be partnership programs with industry. Um, there's a lot to be learned in those realms that, you know, university will not even try to give you because this is the complement. It's kind of where you go and interact with people, you apply what you've learned, and you kind of test your marketability too, right? Because you're going to be competing for internship jobs before you're competing with real jobs. And that's very much a reality. Um you know, universities go as, could go as far as, you know, 
setting up industry permanent industry partnerships in order to you know make sure those internship opportunities more readily available um professional organizations i um just having experienced it um as a parent of a cornell you know recent cornell graduate cornell was very much geared towards um they mentioned internships and all these little business opportunities and clubs. That's kind of a very big thing of what they do. Um, I believe they were created in in sort of that spirit. Um, in the end, it was really on the individual student, though, to find that internship, make sure their resume was ready. They are out there. They put their resume out there. They get the interviews in you know October prior to the summer where they want to intern. And that seems to be happening. So I suppose the more that is encouraged early, made known, and there's some structure for supporting it, like get your resume checked, uh, get college, you know, get some counseling involved as to how would you position yourself, some training, um, you know, practice interviews before the real ones. So here, so you're practicing before really entering the job market. Uh, and you're training yourself on how to get an internship. Right. Um, and, um, you know, then there's a lot of soft skill development that a, a, a university wouldn't necessarily see as its role to impart, um, but perhaps should, um, you know, teamwork, problem solving, adaptability, critical thinking. You know, we're already laying those foundations in, in secondary education, but certainly those are those are those are lifelong tasks uh, skills that um perhaps don't carry a grade in themselves but are critical um so yeah i think an emphasis on those um through the tasks and the coursework and perhaps seminar work whatever it's called um the more you get to develop those, I think the readier you're going to be and the less harsh the transition is going to be. Yeah. All right. And one last one. Um, so we know about the S-curve of adoption, right? How it it starts off pretty small and then it increases like exponentially, then caps off, and it follows a logistic curve. And our main goal is to try to find that, um, first off, the carrying capacity. Our main goal is to try to find the inflection point where it turns from increasing to decreasing. And I don't know, I, I just, it, it's a bit of a loaded question to ask because no one really knows, but just your thoughts on where we are on that adoption curve. On the AI adoption curve? Yeah. What do you call adoption? Adoption is... First Define off, adoption for me, so I know what we're measuring, what what we're trying to measure. Right. So adoption, in my eyes, is use of the thing or of the technology, not necessarily how we govern it, because the governing and the the ethical and the governing is important, but we are clearly lagging on that front. Um, but just use. Let me ask you this: Where do you think we are on the internet on the S curve? I think I I think we're. At the, near the near the top, in my opinion, like not we passed that inflection point of we're past the inflection. Okay, we agree that we're past the inflection point there. Yeah. And again, are we considering this worldwide or within this country? Worldwide, worldwide. 
oh, AI, we're still in the exponential phase. You know how I draw that little model with the S curve, right? And the beginning yeah. of it is exponential and then it starts tapering off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think we're, we're in the very early stages. What might be interesting for you, again, mm -hmm. in your last year at, um, at GCDS, might be an early poll of teachers and students separately. Have you ever used ChatGPT? You know, less than 10 times regularly, how, you know, kind of anonymous, like yeah. give the use and maybe give that first in September or even if you want to launch it now, yeah. um, you know, at this early stage. And then again, three months later, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. year end kind of track that a little bit it'll yeah. be interesting we're a microcosm right yeah I, that's so a... are there other teachers who've never looked at it uh who they 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 barely have a login but you know it's still that alien thing or are there you'd be surprised i think I'm, I'm, yeah that's interesting all right so thank you so much for your responses um that's You're all welcome. i have for now all right but... Really I have something it. for you now. All right. All right. Uh, so first of all, thank you for the for these thought-provoking questions and opportunity to to engage with the topic. Um, so last night I um you know I appreciate getting them beforehand so I could wrap my mind around them a little bit because you <laughs> you know you do have to sit back. Yeah. Um, all right, now I'm gonna be full disclosure. My answers were AI generated. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh did you think I, so uh well at least when I first started well when you said the full disclosure then I kind of realized it clicked but when you were responding to the questions I couldn't tell I thought they were genuine all right so here's here's what I have for you I loaded every single question into chat GPT yeah I tr I copied down what it gave me um I noticed and this was my first deep engagement with chat GPT so I'm very grateful I started noticing certain things kept repeating, like there was redundancy and there was a certain structure to how the, the answers came. You know, oh, there's this, but there's that. Always oh, very, you know, very correct, both sides or very good, right? right? It becomes a little old when when for 14 questions you get that. Right. And then uh, as I looked through them and preparing for our conversation, I went and bolded the pieces in each question that I felt were relevant that I actually agreed with. And so I'm going to share that with you if you like. So the that. bolded parts are the ones I used. Everything else is just there. And I highlighted in red um, um, bullets that I absolutely did not agree with and didn't use in my answer. So it's a bit curated. Yeah, but no, that's interesting. And and in our conversation, I also a friend of mine gave me MIT Technology Review from last month, and they have a whole thing that the whole review, the whole you know issue is on AI in education. Yeah. Um, do look for it. It had some very interesting, uh, very interesting thoughts on for that. Sure. So I, I read up on that a little bit. So I mean, as we speak some of it is my own but um it'll be nice yeah. for you to um you know i kind of wanted to disclose that because i found it helpful and in the end i think i was able to have a conversation thanks to it um but i don't think my judgment i mean my judgment did play a role so i would hope 
And although ChatGPT gave me all that background, I was able to pull off a podcast like that, you know, with a preparation from the previous night, which who knows how long that would have taken me otherwise. True. Thank you so much. Thank you, Yash. <laughs> Appreciate it. Be well. Bye. Once again, thank you, Ms. Iverson, for allowing me to interview for the podcast. And if you liked it, stay tuned for the next episode. I'll see you guys later.